Thank you. Let's take God's word together and turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, if you would please. Nehemiah chapter 4. And Nehemiah has come up a couple of times over the course of the last week, especially at our missions conference, and um, came up in my own reading. I was reading, again, my dear friend Frank Borum, and um, one of the chapters that I read on uh, brought me to this text, and uh, the Lord spoke to my, ho- my own heart through it, and I thought I would share it with you. And as a preacher, if you've ever preached before or taught before, you'll, you'll understand that the lessons and the messages that speak the most to you are usually the most effective in somebody else's life. And I want to share, hopefully, a bit of encouragement with you tonight. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. By the way, the enemy always, always hates any sort of advancement in the kingdom of God. The enemy hates when the kingdom of God is built. So anytime you as a Christian take a step forward in your own Christian life, you can be certain that the enemy is lurking nearby to try to undo all that is being done. When Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. And he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders." So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. We'll stop our reading there tonight, and we trust God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let me just begin by saying tonight, God looks at things differently than we do. How many of you know that is true? Man looks on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. And what looks to be a wreck in a ruin in the eyes of man, actually, in the eyes of God, is something very precious with great potential. The city of Jerusalem had been burnt to the ground. The walls had been knocked down. Not one stone was left standing on another. They'd been, the gates had been burnt. The city had been decimated. And it looked like all hope was gone. Now, we see things like this occasionally ourselves. Sometimes we look at somebody who used to live for God, and they look, they're so far away from God today that we think to ourselves, like the city of Jerusalem, everything that once was good for them has been wrecked. Every stone has been taken down in their life. Every stone of progress and godliness has been taken down. The gates have been burnt down and Here is somebody's life who is ruined. 
Sometimes we look at people like that, don't we? We say there's no hope for them. They've gone too far. Look at their life. It's in shambles. It'll never be the same. Sometimes we look at the church or a church or the church collectively. You might look at the church of this land and think that the church of Jesus Christ in the United Kingdom has been decimated and desecrated and therefore there is no more hope. That's what many people believe today. But the way that the world sees things is not the way that God does. Sanballat looks at these feeble Jews. That's what he calls these followers of God. Is that not what the world thinks of us? Look at these feeble Christians, they say. Sanballat said, what do these feeble Jews, what are these weak followers of God doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Do they think they're going to do anything, accomplish anything? Recent news of, of decisions that have been made by clergymen, high-ranking clergymen in the Church of England, recent decisions and comments that have been made have caused many believers around the world to say that there is no more hope for the Christian church especially not the Anglican church, will they accomplish anything? And then the last question that he asked is the question that I want to look at tonight. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish? If there is a title tonight, it would be this, Out of the Heaps of Rubbish. Out of the Heaps of Rubbish. I want to think about heaps of rubbish for a little bit tonight. There are a few laws, Frank Borum pointed out a few laws of nature when considering heaps of rubbish. First thing that we notice in our text and that we notice in life, that heaps of rubbish are a reality. It's a reality. Everywhere you look, there's heaps of rubbish. Heaps and heaps, piles and piles. Old things that used to be useful are now useless and cast out onto the rubbish pile. Leftovers. Scraps. Broken bits of things. All rubbish. Once edible, perhaps. Once powerful. Once helpful. Once useful. Now totally useless and on the rubbish heap. Society looks at people like that. This world looks at people like that. The world looks at people differently than God looks at people. The world looks at people and judges their usefulness by their degree in education or by their gifts and talents, or their abilities or strengths. They try to determine the usefulness of a human being in that way. But God sees things very differently. There's an interesting law of nature, and that is the, the law that we find in considering rubbish, the law of deterioration, you could say. Everything. Think about this with me for just a moment. How did... If you go and view a, a rubbish heap, if you go down to the local tip around the corner, 
How did that stuff get there? How did rubbish become rubbish? It used to be good. It used to be useful. It used to be edible, workable, whatever it might be. How did it happen? Well, there's a law of nature. Listen to this law. A law of nature that says every material thing, no matter how valuable, no matter how precious, every material thing is headed to the rubbish heap. Everything. That brand new car you're driving, I'm sorry, but it's headed for the rubbish heap. That new pair of shoes you're wearing today, no matter how much it costs you, they're headed to the rubbish heap. Everything. Every material thing on the planet is headed for the rubbish heap. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, you may remember, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Why? Because it's all headed to the rubbish heap. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Every material thing is headed for the rubbish heap. It's interesting you read in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me speak to you for a second. 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter of love. You know it well, don't you? Love is this, charity is the authorized version, says charity suffereth long, and it gives you a whole long list. But you come to the very last verse of the chapter, I love it. And now abideth these things. You remember that? And now abideth what? Now abideth cars? No. And now abideth houses and lands and church buildings and altars. And, and now abideth creeds. No, no, no. And now abideth catechisms and confessions of faith. Wrong. Now abideth faith, hope, love. Look around you. Everything you see with your eye right now is headed for the rubbish heap. We put a lot of effort. Some of our dear ladies put a lot of effort into the curtains and hanging the flags and building the wall and putting the turf down. And it all has its place, its rightful place. But every last bit of it's headed for the rubbish heap. But there are some things that will never perish. Faith, that's not headed for the rubbish heap. Praise God, faith is not going to the rubbish heap. Praise the Lord, hope is not headed for the rubbish heap. Our hope is a better hope, is a more enduring hope, it's a steadfast hope. And therefore, instead of deteriorating, our faith should be building, our hope should be increasing, and so should our love. That's why we're told in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Be careful what you love. Because everything is headed for the rubbish heap. There's another law when you consider stacks of rubbish. That's the law of occupation. Think about this. Everywhere you look, Everywhere your eye lands is being occupied by something. If you're out in the middle of nowhere, every crack and cranny of life is occupied. Trees and creepy crawly bugs and bushes and flowers and all sorts of weeds and grasses are fighting for one inch of soil, aren't they? Because it's a law of occupation. If there's a bit of, if there's a scrap of land, just wait, somebody's going to get it. 
something is going to take over that land. Let's imagine that you built something on the land, but if you leave it alone, very soon, here comes nature. Here comes all sorts of creepy, crawly, living things that are going to occupy the land because there's a law of occupation. There is no such thing as no unoccupied land. And so it is with your heart and mind. Nature hates a vacuum. Recently read a sermon by our dear, dear Scottish divine, uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Thomas Chalmers. He knows what I was go- going for with this. Thomas Chalmers, a great Scottish divine. He was an educator. He was a preacher. He was a philanthropist, a philosopher. He was my, a mighty man of God. But he wrote a sermon, preached a sermon that was that was later written down and transcribed, so we have it today. And the title of that little sermon is called this. Think about it for just one second. It was later recently printed by Crossway Books. I encourage you to get a hold of it. This little sermon said this: that there is a in the in the preface of it, it spoke about this natural tendency for for nature hating a vacuum, about how each one of us will love something. And he spoke about and wrote a sermon about its interesting title, talked about the ability, the expulsive power of a new affection. That was the title of his sermon. I was trying to remember it there. That's why I was waffling on a bit there. The expulsive power of a new affection. Every one of us loves something. Whether it's yourself or some person. And you have an option if you want to change that love. That's why we, we read in the word he wrote this on the, based off the principle found in, in uh, the letter from 1 John. Uh, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he said, we oftentimes as Christians tell people, don't love the world. Well, that's stupid. I'm sorry. You can't tell somebody, stop loving the world and expect them to do it. And he said, we sometimes as preachers try to tell people the reason they shouldn't love the world is because how terrible the world is. He said, that'll never do. The man who, who helped publish the book wrote in the preface, gave a little illustration about, you probably heard me share it before, about the possibility of getting air out of a test tube. If I were to tell you today, if I had a test tube up here and gave you all access to modern scientific invention and said to you, you can use all of these scientific tools to remove all of the air out of this test tube, what would you do to do, how would you get the air out? Some might say, put a vacuum, a hoover on it and suck the air out. He said, the easiest way to do it is to fill it with water. And when you put water in that test tube, it pushes all the air out. And he said, the same way with your heart. If you want to stop loving the world, then fill it with a new affection. Start loving something better. And so we have this law of nature because our heart will always be occupied by something. Our mind will always be occupied by something. And where there is no Nehemiah, where there is no man or woman who's willing to rush in and rebuild the walls, where there isn't a Nehemiah, then very soon there will be the the very moss-covered stones of a fallen, broken Jerusalem. Think about your own mind. Your mind becomes a wilderness of foul and filthy and wicked imaginations if clean and wholesome thoughts have not been planted in your mind intentionally. If you think that you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to think the right things by chance and by accident, you are deceived. 
Your mind will never be what your mind ought to be unless you plant good thoughts in it. You think those walls of Jerusalem are going to rebuild themselves? Never. Do you think Christianity in this nation, do you think God's just going to blow upon it all? That's what some people think. We're just going to sit here, hang tight, hold, hold hands, sing kumbaya till Jesus comes and hope things get better. No, God chooses to use his people as the instruments through which the walls are rebuilt. And so he chooses to use you to change the way you think as a man thinketh in his heart. So is he. If you don't like what you've become, if you don't like the man that you become or the woman that you become, then change the way you think. The heart becomes like Jerusalem, a wilderness of desolation, and it becomes so absolutely, utterly unrecognizable unless the kingdom of Christ is established there. Is the kingdom of Christ established here? Can I ask you, is the kingdom of Christ established in your heart? Have you planted clean and wholesome thoughts in your mind? Intentionally planted them there. I wrote this quote down. I picked it up from my friend, Mr. Borum. Evil evolves where good evacuates. That's pretty good. Let me say that again. Evil evolves, grows and grows and changes Evil evolves wherever good evacuates. If you let the good fade out of your mind and out of your heart, if you forget why you do what you do, if you forget the motive, if you lose vision and sight, then you can be sure that evil will fill that gap and multiply very quickly. There's another law here and I'm Bring things to a close here. One last law. I love this one. The law of elevation. What makes rubbish rubbish? I like this. Think about this for a second. What makes rubbish? When does it become rubbish? When does a pair of shoes end up on the rubbish heap? I'll tell you when it does. When you find a new pair of shoes. That's when. When does moldy bread get chucked out? When you get fresh bread. But I guarantee you this, if you don't have fresh bread and you're hungry, you'll make do with moldy bread. I grew up eating moldy bread. Maybe that's what's wrong with me today. My mother used to pinch the bits of mold off it, the bits of green off it. We'd eat it anyways. We'd pull the cheese out of the refrigerator and it was more green than it was yellow. And we'd cut the edges of it off and we'd eat it. We didn't have anything else. We didn't have the luxury of chucking it out. We didn't have the luxury of giving it to dogs and animals. We had to eat it ourselves. Some of your animals eat better than I did growing up as a child. Things become rubbish when something better comes along. Isn't that true? When do you tear a barn down? Well, when you have the funds and the ability to build a bigger one. That's when it happens. When we see something better. What was it, by the way, that doesn't stop with material things, that comes to life? I want you to hear me for one second. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. What makes a man like my friend Stephen leave the comforts of a Western home 
move to a country like Iraq where it is illegal to be a Christian, illegal to proselytize, knowing that he couldn't just be kicked out of the country, not only could he just be kicked out of the country or imprisoned, he could be killed. What makes a man do that? What makes a man willing to lay down his life? I'll tell you what makes a man willing if he sees a better life. If he sees a better life. What makes a Christian willing to get out and talk to people about Jesus Christ knowing he looks like an idiot? Knowing he looks base and foolish and disrespectful. Knowing that he, he loses all standing with society. What makes a person do that? When he knows there's something better to live for than the praise of man. The law of elevation. Something higher. Something better to live for. That's when it does. This is what Jesus, this is how Jesus lived his life. We read this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. The author of Hebrews tells us very plainly in the text. I'll read it for you here. Verse number one, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God.